We don't get to choose how they will lead. We just get to choose who leads. We could say characteristically that going into this, it didn't look good from the very beginning. If I'm talking from economics, I would say last four years was economically the best four years uh, my investments has ever seen. This is United We Stand with your host, Fallon Proctor. Join us for a long overdue conversation designed to unite the church through embracing the truth of who God is and who we are called to be. And now your host, Fallon Proctor. Well, good afternoon. Good afternoon, WCLN. We're so glad to be with you. Happy Wednesday to everyone. This is your host, Fallon Proctor of United We Stand. Do me a favor, as I always ask you, reach out, let your friends, your family, your coworkers, let them know that we are live inside of the studio today. It is a pleasure to be able to join you in your midday. I pray that each of you have been blessed. This has been a truly blessed week for all of you. And listen, we want you to know that we are praying for God's very best for each of you as listeners today. Today is a great day. If you don't believe it, I believe what the word of the Lord says. The word of the Lord says to us that the power of life and death is in your tongue. Regardless of what anyone else is saying, it's what you say. Words have power. Let me say that again. Words have power. What are you saying today? Are you speaking life? Are you speaking death? Let's choose to speak life. Let's choose to speak life over ourselves this is a wonderful day. The SON is shining, and we're excited to be able to be with you. Again, this is your host, Fallon Proctor. United we stand. WCLN family, what's up? We pray you are having a great and wonderful day today. Well, today we're excited to be able to invite into the studio with us a very special guest, one who uh, I am very, very fond of, and I'm so happy to have him to be able to take time out of his very busy schedule as of all that he do to be with us on today, we are having with us a, a military veteran, a father, a grandfather, a pastor, a preacher, a teacher, a leader, all of those things, business uh, owner, so many things I can say about him. But I'm excited today to have in studio with me none other than Emmett Johnson, Bishop Emmett Johnson. Sir, come on in and say good afternoon to everyone. Well, God bless you, Pastor Proctor, and amen, the audience there. We appreciate you so much for the invitation, and I agree with you. This is a blessed day. As we so often say at Gateway here in Alabama, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. And we make a decision every day to open our eyes and to close them at night with our lips giving God praise. And so thank you, amen, to your listening audience. Thank you, sir, for considering us worthy just to be a part of the conversation. Bless Amen. You. Thank you so much. I love that. This is the day the Lord has made. Truly it is. Well, we hear that so often, but I want you to know I believe it. When I heard you say it, I was encouraged by hearing you say that on today and reminded of how good God is. Well, we are excited. We are in the month of March I am prayerful that March has been blessings to all of you. But to those of you who have lost hope, those of you who are wondering how can things get any better, I'm here to give you some good news. Things are already better. Things are already better. It's, again, the power of your own words. Jesus was hearing people say many things about him, and they were calling him all kinds of things, and Jesus responded to them, and he said something very important that I want you to hold on to on today. He never responded by saying what others perceived or called him. 
he began to declare who he was. He said, I am the way of life. I am. And so that's encouraging for you today to be able to pronounce over yourself and you declare for yourself. Don't say what others are saying about you. Well, Bishop Johnson, it's so great to have you with us, sir. Come on and tell us a little bit about yourself. Help our listening audience to get to know you a little better today. Well, thank you again, Pastor Brockley, for having me on. Thank you again to listening audience there in North Carolina. Um, I'm just a little country boy, you know, that believes that anything is possible. I often tell my kids and grandkids, you know, when you come from nothing, everything is a success to you. And so I've had great success in my life. You know, the majority of it came after my years of accepting Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And so I'm appreciative to God for all of that. You know, I'm the husband of one wife. Uh, we have four adult children. Um, I have 11 grandchildren. Uh, we live in Millbrook, Alabama. It's a suburb of Montgomery, Alabama, about 11 to 15 miles, depending on which direction you take. Uh, we're a very small community. I'm a small community-minded individual. And so we're just grateful to God to be a part of a family that is still together. And as you know, that is a an absolute problem now in our society, but I'm thankful that we are able to, to still get together just as if we all lived in the same place. Um, as you said earlier, you know, I am a veteran, um, retired sergeant major of um, uh, 26 years and some months. 26 and years, 26 years, 26 years in the military. <laughs> what branch yes, of service sir. were you in, sir? I was in, I was in, I was in the Army. In the Army. Well, we thank you for that, and we salute you. As this is a Fort Bragg, North Carolina area, we love our military, and we love our veterans. Thanks to you and your, your family for serving our nation. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we like Again, I absolutely loved it. Really didn't see a career after the military, um, but I just knew when I left the military I wanted to be able to give back. Uh, which launched um, me into the place of education. Uh, I've been now working as an education director for a behavioral health care company that um, facilitates um, 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 intervention and treatment for disturbed individuals or individuals who have overstimulated problems and have negative influences in their life. We're a residential program. We have about 100 you know, uh, young adults and youth here. Um, so I provide the education piece. We have about 15 teachers, plus or minus, uh, right now that uh, I make sure that facilitate that education on a daily basis. We are a 365 organization. My wife and I, we're owners of a um, child development center of our own in the city that we live. Uh, we have about 112 uh, kids facilities. And um, we started a church here as well. You know, I'm grateful to God that we've just transitioned that, and I attend that same church with the lead pastor that we had the opportunity to get to move from um, Tupelo, Mississippi, to uh, Millbrook, Alabama, to be a part of the worship experience that God had begun to grow under us so we can continue to do some other things. I'm a part of a great organization called Anointed Remnant Global Assemblies, where I serve as the administrative and overseas bishop. You know, I cover churches uh, overseas, of course, um, by the title, uh, but that is in Liberia, West Africa, all of the Caribbeans. I have um, been able to been blessed to cover churches in Georgia, 
And so just, just thankful to God to, for, for the many things that he's allowed us to be able to do, Pastor. Um, to, to, no, to, to no effect, it wouldn't be worth anything if I didn't have my wife along my side. We've been married for four years. Um, again, same same wife, no 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 girlfriend, no nothing on the side, just my baby, Debra Lane Johnson. I hope she heard that. Um, but we've been together, just just trying to make it work and doing our best to be an impact in our community, uh, making sure that we're heard, um, our voices echoed in this state. And then trying to establish a national and global footprint as well. And so that's just a, a little bit about me, uh, Pastor. And again, just so appreciative for you considering having me on the program today. Well, that was wonderful. That is a good way for our listening audience to get to know you. WCLN family is so excited to hear that. And again, we thank you for your service. You went from being a soldier in man's army to being a soldier in the Lord's army. One of the things that I think is going to arm us for our discussion today, which is so important, I heard you speak of is education. And so you spoke of not only being instrumental in serving as an educator, but you also have instituted and and started your own child development center. So with that being said, we we want to talk a little bit, if we can, glean a little bit from the, the knowledge base of what we're dealing with. This show, as you're aware, this show, we deal with those issues within the church community, those issues within our local church, our national church, and the church at large, issues that we sometimes we do not like to deal with them publicly. We may deal with them privately in our own homes or within our own circle of friends. But we deal with those issues here openly with an, a goal of being able to help us to be able to unite and be reestablished, to be refocused and reengaged together in our communities. So this is not a local conversation. This is a global conversation. And I think you are well suited because you have spoke as one who have impact around the globe. So thankful for that. You get an opportunity to be able to share insight of your travels, inside of what you're seeing in a local setting as well. So let's start with, with the, the church itself. One of the things that I would love to be able to jump into the last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, prayer, being able to unite the church together in prayer. And I'm going to start off with the question that I've asked several of our guests in the past. And I think it's a fitting question because it helps us to be able to lay some groundwork to to really understand a little bit about you as a guest and to understand your heart. Uh, this last year, really, we had March. It's been a year since we suffered and went through a, a pandemic and a total shutdown of our nation and even around the globe. Many areas have been shut down. How have this pandemic if at all, impacted you personally and as well as spiritually? Well, great place to start, Pastor. I, I absolutely think that, um, you know, the foundation of where we're going in this conversation has to begin with prayer because, you know, I think as a nation, we all, I can't say just me, but we all felt the blow that took us by surprise but also got our attention in a lot of different areas. Personally, um, it has uh, had great impact on me. As you know, I travel quite extensively, and because of that, that was one of the first things that were curtailed. As a business owner, um, I was impacted because there were so many people um, concerned about their children, but also their themselves. And uh, we had to make sure that we put some processes in place to 
to make sure that people were safe and that we had great information uh, being filtered to them on a continual basis. And so, you know, both personally and professionally, because I deal in this, the education industry and all of our students are residential, you know, we have 100 kids that couldn't go anywhere. And I would often comment to our CEO that uh, our students are never our problem because they're residents here. They don't go unless we take them out of the building. It's the individuals coming in. So trying to establish a leadership form and understanding with the workers here, uh, which are some 200 plus, you know, to understand our responsibility to the individuals that we're serving, which also kind of parallels what we do in ministry, which became another challenge. So I had both a personal challenge, a spiritual challenge, as well as a professional challenge that I had to undergird almost immediately, or we, I shouldn't say I, we, the teams in each of those areas of my life had to undergird to make sure that we got out great information to people to make sure that we made the environments that we were hosting or facilitating safe places for people. And then, you know, to make sure that we ourselves were in um, the right frame of mind when we made our decisions. And none of that could have been possible, Pastor, without spending countless hours before the Lord in prayer. Wow, that's awesome. And so from what I'm hearing, you were in position because of your positioning you had the ability to be able to transition and be fluid enough to to move in the midst of the pandemic. And so one one great thing I believe that I heard come out of all of that is something that I love to refer to as the Bible saying all you're getting, get an understanding. And so I think there are three things that we sometimes overlook, and that is knowledge, that is understanding, and then that is wisdom. And of course, wisdom deals with the application of information. And so I, I heard you say that you shared information and the ability to be able to share it with all of your uh, people that you had influence on. And so as a leader, let's let's talk about as a leader, as a leader, what do you believe during such a crisis or a pandemic? What role do you believe that the leadership really plays in helping to shape and form congregations during a time of crisis? What is the role of the leader to help to shape and form those who they're leading? Uh, another another great question, Pastor Pragda. Um, when we talk about shaping and forming individuals that serve us or serve with us, you, you're looking at an awesome responsibility. Um, the leader has to be very knowledgeable about a lot of different things, and sometimes, you know, that's not because you got a certificate or diploma on the wall behind you that said you've been to the class and you've had the opportunity to sit years under someone else. But it means that you're astute enough to go find the information to make sure that the people that you're taking care of get the best information possible. And so my role, our role, I believe, as leaders is to make sure we facilitate the best information possible so that people can make intelligent decisions. Unfortunately, what we see happen more often than not is we're dictating to individuals what they should or should not do rather than providing them with a plethora of information to give them the ability to make decisions. And ultimately, if they make a great decision because of what you told them to do, you get the accolades. Everybody loves you. But unfortunately, the truth be told, sometimes we don't always get it right. And so when we tell people what to do, 
from a leadership perspective, and they make the wrong decision based on the information we told them, you know, then that has a counterproductive effect as well. And so I think it's so important that we first understand how and where to get that information to and then disseminate it to the lowest degree possible so that people can make good decisions. Can I just add to that? I think our company uh, as a whole that I work for here in Montgomery, Alabama, we didn't close one day over the last 12 months, Pastor, not one. But from the time the pandemic hit in March, we began to put together think tanks with individuals around us about solutions. Now, did we get it all right? No. But we didn't get it all wrong either. You know, we, got, we, we made some strides. Eighty percent of what we did was successful. As a church, we never stopped doing ministry. Did we get everything right? No. But we didn't get it all wrong either. We found ways to reinvent ourselves to do what God has called us to do in our assignments, not just inside the church, but also continually in our community by making ourselves a part of the fabric of the community. Then finally, as a business, you know, we didn't close our child development center one day because of us. It was because the state mandated we close. We We have not had one positive case of student or adult at our center that has come down COVID positive. And we did all the safety precautions from day one and instituted some additional things. And so the information, I believe, and it being disseminated correctly and giving people the opportunity to make choices and understand that these people really do care about us, really for me is the foundation, the bedrock that says that's the piece where we begin to build from. Okay, you, you, you started off early, so I have to go there with you this morning because go you, you said, sir, sir, you said the role of the leader was to give those who they're leading information, not dictatorship of how to apply the information. Did I hear that correctly? I would say that is correct interpretation of what I said. Okay, yes, so, so the leader should be actually providing access to information and resources and help to lead people in making decisions, not making the decision for them. Exactly, exactly. One of the things I love about the Bible, Pastor Proctor, is, you know, that we always have a choice. You know, whomsoever will, let him. It's a decision. You know, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. It's a decision. You know, in every place that you read in the Bible where there is a mandate, it still is a decision that the individual needs to make. One of the things I think that we sometimes forget is that we can't take away from people things that God had already given them. If you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, one of the things you'll find is that when people were wrong or found themselves in sin, it wasn't because they couldn't have been made to do it. Of course, God could have made them do it. He's God. You know, mm. but the reason they found themselves in predicaments where they were where they were lost or abandoned or in the desert or wilderness for so long was because they decided to do it another way. But that was their option. And for every decision people make, we have to be also willing to say, "Okay, I'm here to help sharing the consequences." Now, here's where it gets real scratchy, at Pastor, because most of us, after people decide to do something that we don't want them to do. We don't want to share in the consequences with them. And my, my, my point to this is, is that, you know, as a, as a father, as a, as a grandfather, you know, everything, every decision that my children or grandchildren will make, I'm going to be there. I might not agree with their decisions, 
But I'm not going to abandon them because they don't do it like I want them to do it. Mm, that's powerful. So we support them as a leader, even in the midst of those decisions that may lead to harsh consequences. We support Absolutely. them. Wow, that's good. So we're going to come back after this break. We are really getting good. If you're listening, this is Fallon Proctor with WCLN 105.7. Don't touch that dial. We're coming right back. And now back to your host, Fallon Proctor, and today's United We Stand. Well, welcome back. Welcome back. This is Fallon Proctor, the host of United We Stand. I am so excited. WCLN family live in studio. Of course, my guest today is none other than Bishop Emmett Johnson, who is sharing some leadership nuggets with us as we're sharing. We're going to get right back to the conversation. Bishop Johnson, you left us with saying to us, you said it is the job of the leader to be able to give information and not dictate to those they're leading. Is that correct, sir? Yes, sir. All right. Well, sir, let me let me shift a little bit because I, I understand that you, you actually shared a lot with us. You talked about your impact or the things that impacted you during the pandemic, such as your personal life, your professional life, and then you spoke of your ministry life. And what I heard was on both sides of your professionalism outside the ministry, both industries that you were working in, those industries remained open through the entire pandemic. Those industries continue to serve the community. And so we are in this pandemic and we have laws that were passed. And those laws, this has been a, a rough year or two for many of us. There's been a lot of things that have happened. Uh, we had to go through not only a pandemic, we had to go through an election. We had to go through uh, abusive things that have happened with law enforcement and other things in our community. And so I want to talk and glean a little bit from your leadership from the perspective of social issues within our community. So as a pastor, the church doors have been closed. And so while the church doors were closed, and I'm not sure about there in Alabama, I could tell you here in North Carolina, I was really surprised to see that the church, as a pastor, the church was listed not as essential, while things like the ABC, which to us here in this area, if you're not familiar, sir, that is the liquor store. The liquor store, the abortion clinics, all of those places were deemed as essential missions, and the church was deemed as non-essential and instructed for the church to close its doors. And with that being said, what we're dealing with in the election, we're dealing with social issues, we're dealing with all of those things that are going on. Do you believe, sir, as a leader, what is your thought on the church's role, if any, in the matters of social justice and social issues within our community? Wow. Um, Pastor Proctor, let me just let me just go back to the uh, statement about the doors being closed and then I'll. I'll touch on the social issues piece. You know, one of the things that I love about our governor here, and and, and I, I think that um, if you Google her, uh, Governor Kay Ivey, she is a very forward-thinking individual. Um, she understands things from a lot of different perspectives. Uh, one of the things that she came out in her initial briefings, along with the health uh, department um, director, and said was that the church was absolutely critical. And here's what she stated that it was the leadership's responsibility to determine 
whether or not they will stay open. Now, when she said that, the caveat from the health department was, okay, let's remember social distancing, let's remember safe measures, and let's remember the size of your facility. And so if you're a First Baptist, and I think most First Baptists are pretty large in most areas, you know, if you're a First Baptist and you normally seat 800 people on Sunday morning, um, 650 show up, then you might not be able to seat 650. But if you can do 100 people three times a day, that's still fine. But that's a decision your leadership there at your church needs to make. And so we, too, had individuals, after they collectively discussed with their congregates and leadership in their churches, they made decisions to say, well, we're going to close for the safety of the individuals that we serve. When I say things like our church never closed, uh, we still formed, came together, but it was our praise and worship team, it was our musicians, and it was a speaker um, that was all socially distanced inside the sanctuary, streaming, providing podcasts, doing Bible studies, and all those other things from a live session right inside our sanctuary. And so for when our congregation got to the point where they felt like we just don't want, we, and I'll use the, the term that we coined here at, at Gateway, you know, we want to be cautious but not afraid. And mm. so when they became cautious, they said, okay, Pastor, we're not coming, but we still want to be a part of the service. And that's where the creativity came in at. And so I applaud Governor Kay Ivey for allowing the church to be considered essential, you know, in, in Alabama. Uh, if one pastor says that they had to close, they're misrepresenting our governor uh, because she never said that. She said you need to be safe. The health department said you need to be safe. But at the end of the day, the businesses that did close, um, those there were industries like the strip clubs where people congregate and, 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 and uh, like the ABC stores and stuff of that nature. They actually did have to close. So we were on the reverse side of that here in Alabama. Um, so I, I wanted to speak to that because it, it's different for a lot of different states. Um, the social issues, uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful while we watched them play out nationally. I can't say that we had any of those things happen right here in the heartbeat of where civil rights took place, took place at. We had no, we had no um, violent activities other than what has been normally going on in any uh, metropolitan area, you know, from, from Huntsville down to Mobile, you know, but no, no real protests like we've seen nationally on the news in larger cities you know, or even more um, uh, 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 progressive places, if you will, uh, that tend to move into those areas. We didn't see that here. But we do have opinions about them. Um, I think one of the reasons we didn't see them here is not because those same issues uh, don't exist. They absolutely do. And in some cases, I believe that they're covertly, you know, played out on a, in an undertow that you have to walk over very cautiously if you don't want to fall into uh, but it's simply because here uh, in Alabama, most people tend to go along to get along. It's the agitators that come from the outside, like me, Pastor Brock, that, that kind of keep stuff, you know, from just staying settled, if you will. And, and I don't use that in a derogatory term by saying agitator. I'm just saying that I don't believe that everything is good. You're mm. not going to sell me on that. I, I, I grew up in the South. You know, so I know everything is not good. I, I see where there is underlying issues socially that people just 
uh, coy together in corners or behind closed doors to talk about. I just choose not to do that. And so I think a leader, a pastor, especially a Christian leader, has to be able to make a stand and say, okay, I'm not telling you what to do, but these are things that we need to observe that if we're not careful will absolutely become a cancer and destroy us unless we do something about it. Well, let me let me keep us going because I, I do understand that, and as an agitator, I understand your position. And so I would not be in this position if I was not an agitator. Agitator, as you said, is not is not bad. I'm going to coin John Lewis and say we're getting in good trouble. So let's have some good trouble today. Let's have good trouble. So do you believe, and I heard you say that it's the leader's job. How do you uh, speak to when you have social issues are going on? George Floyd is a good example other issues such as that that are going on across our nation and have still been going on, coming from the South, just like yourself. We've seen instances of this from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Every decade, this has been ongoing. But when you have the church who stands by and say or do nothing, do you believe that it is the church's job to intervene and take a position on this within the community? Powerful question, and, you know, I guess that, you know, I'm thankful that I'm the only guest on today because this would probably take up the majority of your time <laughs> if we had multiple guests. Um, but but there's a scripture in the Bible that I think a lot of people follow, and I think it's misinterpreted. You know, St. John 18 and 36, it talks about my kingdom, not of this world. Mm. I think it's misinterpreted or misrepresented sometimes when we hear religious people use that, or people in the Christian community use that to say that I'm not supposed to be involved. I'm not supposed to, to have a say-so in what goes on around here. That, 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 is, that, is, that is not correct in my mind, but neither does it match the theology I've been taught, o- only because everything that we do as leaders is because of our community. We are community-oriented. And, 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 and you can't just say this world, this world and its issues has no bearing on me because it does, whether it is economically or whether it's religiously. You know, it all has, or private moral issues, they all have bearing on us. And so we have to be prepared as leaders to take a stand. So, you know, every social issue hurts me, Pastor Proctor. I promise you. You, My wife will come into the room sometimes and say, what are you crying about? I'm looking at situations that are occurring, and it tears me you know, it pains me that much because I, I sometimes feel absolutely helpless. And so I'm going to go back to the thing you said at the very beginning of the, the broadcast. I have to go pray. I have to find time to get back to my base because my old nature wants to do what everybody else does, become destructive, become violent. It's a part of my nature. You know, I'm just being quite honest and as, as transparent as I can. Again, I grew up in the South. You know, I saw a lot of things happening. And so when I understand the nature of God, who I am right now, which I have to remind myself of and go back and rehearse Scripture, I understand Romans 13 and 1. Everyone must submit himself to governing authorities, and therefore no authority except that of God shall be established. And so I go back to these fundamental roots that, that, that God has taught me, and I say, okay, God, if you're the ultimate authority, what is my place in all of this? You know, how do I make 
the Black Lives Matter movement become significant to the church, not just the African-American church, but the church at large? How do I, how do I make equal rights and equality become significant, not just for individuals who are trying to drink out of the same water fountain, but also trying to figure out, okay, how do I get benefits that other people have that I don't have? How do I get opportunities to grow economically, you know, and get loans and grants and, and, and businesses because that information is somehow hidden to me. And so I, I have to understand that the conversation, while it may begin in the street, it cannot stay in the street. It has to be elevated to another place, and it has to be elevated into those realms where people are able to listen and hear and make a difference. And it's how we articulate that, you know, with, with, with an understanding, I believe, that will make the difference. So you believe that the church has been silent in some areas and on some uh, levels when it comes to those things because you listed a litany of things which are very important, everything from economics, uh, which is a social issue, everything from crime, which is a social issue, everything from really your neighbor being abused and you're not saying anything. And so when we talk about these social issues, I, I really want us to be clear today so that you have an opportunity to speak to this because we can look even today. One of the things that, that we looked at, and it was asked of us, and I'll, and I'll present this to you today. How do uh, the church say that they are Christians and they're preaching and teaching Christ when you have a, a former president who we had was leading the nation, who was in some, uh, as some of our viewers have said, was abusive, who was uh, in some areas they thought prejudiced or all those other things. How does the church stand silently or even stand up and say they support something like that when they're seeing that type of abuse of a power that is being plagued out within the community? How, how did you respond to that? Hey, man, you know, and, and again, I think that uh, I, we, you are in semi in the south in North Carolina. Um, I'm in the deep south here in Alabama. We, we've heard those same things. We are a red state. You know, um, uh, so yeah, we we've heard all those things as pastors and leaders, and and so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hit both of these pastor problems. But first of all, I want to go back to what you said here. Um, are we silent as a church? You mm. know, yes, we are. Um, silent makes us safe. At least that's what we think. You know, silent makes us safe. And so when we get to the safe place, that comfortability that we we've, we've garnered over the years. It, to stay there, we don't want to make waves or cause confusion. And, and when we do that, then we put ourselves out there where safety might not be the best thing that we can call ourselves. I would, I would, I would um, submit to our listening audience today that safety is only in the mind of the individual. It's never, it's never a thing where you're guaranteed that because you don't become an agitator, or you don't rock the boat, or you don't say something that's not politically correct, that you're going to remain safe. Nothing's a guarantee in life. You know, and so for the first thing we learn as Christians is that we walk by faith and not by sight. And so each of us must be driven by an internal assignment that does has nothing to do with comfort or safety. And, and that does not mean we're trying to look for trouble or create trouble, but again, to coin the phrases you used by John Lewis, Let's just get into good trouble if we're going to get into good trouble. And I think you define good trouble over the time 
that you'll live. You'll see whether or not it produced a, a great reward or it was more destructive than the stuff that you were trying to fight against. And so, so we, we cannot, as a church, as a body of believers, be quiet in any situation. Now, you, you, you quickly shifted from, it, from that to how does the church say they're Christians and they see the abuse of leadership, the, the leadership takes on its people. That is a, a profound question that has multifaceted answers, uh, multiple, multiplicity of answers. Uh, and I only say that only because we don't get to choose how people will lead. We just get to choose who will lead. We don't get to choose how they will lead. We just get to choose who leads. Again, you know, we could say um, characteristically that going into this, it didn't look good from the very beginning. Mm. If I was talking from economics, I would say this was the last four years was economically the best four years uh, my investments has ever seen. If I was talking just economics, but we know no one person is made up one dimensional. You know, uh, if, if I talk social issues, I could probably say in the time that I've been living in this world, I'm 60 years old, Pastor Proctor. I've never seen more chaos. I've never seen me seen more division and disunity than I've ever seen uh, than the previous four years that I've had. You know, so so it just depends on the pre the concept by which you're talking about the leadership. But again, we don't get to choose how people will lead. We just get to choose who leads. Mm. That's and good. So That's good. Do, Let me stop you right there. Ahead, sorry, ahead, you, you're on a roll. Let me stop you because I don't want to miss those nuggets. I, I, I don't want us to miss that. As we're hearing this, we, 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 we knew going in what we were facing, perhaps. We also, based upon the lens of which you are reviewing this, will help to determine the quality of what you think those four years was like, but here's a, here's a right. challenge for us though, as, as a church, as a church at large, not an individual church in Alabama, North Carolina, but as a church at large in the United okay. States, when we say that the church should be engaged in social issues, is that across the board or do we just pick those social issues that are only in our neighborhood? That's a great question. And, and again, you have to ask yourself, Pastor Proctor, um, how transparent are you willing to be? Whoa. You, you know, how, you, transparent how transparent are you, are you willing to be? Flush that out for us because today. Because when we say across the board, when we say across the board, when we say across the board, that, that's every major denomination, that, that's, that's every major faith group, that's every major issue or issue that occurs. How transparent are we willing to be? You know, um, culturally, because I can only speak from my culture, African-Americans, culturally, you know, we, we have a different way of doing business sometimes than other people, culturally. Now, people, your audience might disagree with that, but uh, just culturally, I know that to be true because I'm of the culture. And so we have a different form of doing business sometimes than other cultures. And so subsequently, we might not always want to be transparent in some things. As a believer, I don't think we can get away from being transparent. And so I try not to have, I, I, I try to practice what I preach, Pastor, in that I don't want to have skeletons in my own closet that I'm hiding just to push other agendas. Mm. You know, and so I think, I think that if we can get to the place of transparency as a whole, we can address all issues, but we can't get to that place. 
because everyone has an underlying agenda. I found this out later. While I absolutely believe in the Black Lives Movement, I think that I think that I think that we're seeing. Um, I don't know whether you saw, and this is a social issue that that kind of echoes to what we're talking about. I don't know whether you saw the Norman, Oklahoma uh, incident uh, that happened with the announcer. He forgot his mic was still hot. Um, high school basketball team playoffs. One basketball team, a mixed high school, you know, playing another basketball team, mixed. I'm talking, I'm talking uh, ethnicity, mixed. You know, one team decides to kneel during the national anthem while the other stands up, and the guy with the hot mic in the booth, he starts, he starts ranting um, expletives and, and 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 using immoral um, words towards the team that decided to kneel. Yes, I saw that, and I was going to get to that because that is a social issue that we we would look that we need to be involved with. And so I think even in that issue, it goes a little deeper because I don't know if you saw the follow-up to that. The follow-up to that was it was initially a conversation that his diabetes caused him to be able to have that type of reaction. And I've talked with medical folks and <laughs> never seen a diabetic reaction to anything like that. But here's something of interest, and, and this goes right to the church, because if, if you have not seen, immediately after the incident actually occurred, he was actually spoken to by a reporter, and that reporter spoke to him, and after giving his, his given time to be able to put everything together, of course, there was a response that came out, and he declared, I am a family man, I am a Christian, and went on to right. list the church that he was a member of. Right. And so he right. brought the church right. into that. So should right. the church, on an instance like that, when you have kneeling and all those things going on, does it make you un-American? Does it make the church have a position that the church will step up and the church be able to get involved? Or does the church say, this is not our business. And sometimes the response has been because we've heard it said that's a political issue. We don't do politics. So I want you to think about that, because when we talk about that, when you say social, do we separate that from political and do we separate that from social? Amen. And, and, and again, I, I know we're getting close up on a break here, but, uh, you know, to that end, uh, Pastor Proctor, it is so important. Again, I'm going back to this transparency because the church that he's affiliated with, I'm sure that he he's associates with individuals that are just like him. Mm. Before his diabetic episodes, or they may all be having diabetic episodes at the same time, this is not new language to somebody in his church. I think we need to be involved, but we as a church have to admit that we have idiosyncrasies ourselves that we need delivered from. Well, the, you know, the, the, answer, the answer to your comment, further research has shown he actually admitted that he utilized language like that before and has been trying yeah. to overcome that moral dilemma. We'll come right back Thank after you. the break, sir. You led us in a place where we need to go. This is Fallon Proctor. You're listening to United We Stand. Come right back with us after the break. And now back to your host, Fallon Proctor, and today's United We Stand. All right, this is Fallon Proctor. This is Fallon Proctor. Welcome back to WCLN 105.7. This is your host, United We Stand. You know the show that you wait all week to be a part of. 
I'm so glad you have not changed the dial and you're here with us. Do me a favor. Go ahead and call your neighbors and your best friends and let them know they are missing a tremendous show on today. Our guest today is none other than Bishop Emmett Johnson. Bishop Emmett Johnson. We had to go and get him all the way down in the deep south to be able to respond to some of the stuff that we're seeing today. We're having a conversation. We're talking about the church's role or the lack thereof in social issues. Bishop Johnson, we're back, sir. Are you still with us? Yes, sir. I'm still here. Well, thank you so much, Bishop. Bishop, you have really, really done some stuff to us today. I, I, I think we need to go further. We can't stop here because we have folks who are listening and commenting, and they're really watching this today. And you sparked some interest here. So, so let me let me go ahead and pick up where we were. We were talking about the the issue that just happened in Oklahoma. We talked about that. Even on an issue like that, one of the things I love that you pointed out was the ability of the church to be transparent. The ability of the church to be transparent. That means stop hiding and admit that we are having these issues still plaguing us in our community. Bishop, how do we move to that place of transparency? What are your thoughts? I think, I think Pastor, one of the things that we have to do is um, we have to uh, allow ourselves to move outside of our personal comfort zones. And what I, I, I've said that several times on the show today, but I think the, the, the personal comfort zones that we establish for ourselves, you know, culturally, you know, we have our community of churches, our, our, our associations and groups that we deal with. You know, part of the discomfort is being able to walk across the street, around the corner, on the other side of town, and unite with somebody. And it is as easy as starting a feeding program. It is as easy as starting uh, a care program that says we're going to teach kids how to read. We're going to we're going to practice do practice GED courses in some community center or uh, a family fellowship hall at one of the churches. But it's just that easy. You, you don't start to try to make a difference to identify your issues with anger, you have to start identifying them from a place of love. And so when people get to see your heart genuinely that you care, now we can move forward to trying to make a difference about the issues that we may differ on or culturally that grew up with that we need to dispel. I have great friends that I have lunch with about once every other week. Um, all of these friends are Caucasians. They're 60-plus. They're, uh, they're all older than me. They're men I met when I came to Alabama. Each of them. Now I'm just going to name. I'm going to name. I'm going to name one little town here in our nearby area, and it'll tell you a whole lot about the people that are born and raised there. Slap out Alabama. <laughs> and that's not a joke. That's the name of the Slap little out town. Out Slap Alabama. out Alabama. All right. And so when you hear that, you you can you can automatically picture in your mind the people that were reared and raised up in their mindset in Slap out Alabama. Mm. But the, I have friends that live in Slapout, Alabama. And one of the things we, we, we meet in a social place, in a, in, a, in, a, in a gathering place where there are other individuals, I'm usually the minority, but I'm comfortable with that because I'm pretty secure about what I think, you know. But we meet there and we talk about issues like we're talking about right now, Pastor Proctor. Now, how did we get there? We got there because each of us has something in common. We were all helping youth at one point in time. We were all doing something in the high school area with young men and women. It was one point in time. And we all got to know each other first individually before we knew each other collectively. And because we found that, okay, 
this ain't really a bad guy. You just had some bad teaching growing up. We now sit down for hours in the afternoon from 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock talking about social issues, political, economic issues, you know, Black Lives Matters and, and, and whether or not the border crossings is, is legitimate. Should we be doing this? Should we be doing that? Presidential issues that are happening in, the, in, 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 in our, in our um, uh, politics. All these things we talk about and we leave shaking hands and hugging each other. But it didn't start there. It started because we found something that we had in common. I promise you, Pastor, if we just go around the corner, find somebody else that doesn't look like us. They may be a rabbi. They don't look like a Pentecostal. They may be a Baptist. They don't look like a Catholic. But find someone that doesn't look like you. Find a community interest, and it can start from there. I, I love I love that portion that you said at the very beginning. You said that it's better to begin the process in love than in anger. It's better to begin the process in love than in anger. That's a very interesting statement because I believe most of what we're dealing with, though, if you're dealing with the social norms, where the social norms are presenting one side as an angry person and the other is not, go back socially and politically and from the place of the church. During the past few years, we've seen where African-American women were being portrayed as angry whenever they were addressed and whenever they were speaking, whenever they had a a point of contention that was different, they were thought of or they were spoken of or characterized as angry. How do we speak to that and help to change the narrative inside the church without transparency? What do we say to that? How do we address that? I think that's another great one uh, that's, that's really permeates throughout our society because as women take greater roles all across uh, the nation, uh, one of the things that men, regardless of their color, because I think this is, this is atypical of a man that feels like now I'm losing something, uh, that we begin to characterize women in such a way to make them feel like they're less than they are. And, and so I don't even think this has anything to do with ethnicity as much as it does just gender. Mm. You know, I'm losing something. It, there, is a, there is a gender piece, I mean, an ethnicity piece, that the race piece that plays into this. You know, but as a whole, uh, in my experience in the workforce, any male that feels threatened uh, by a female begins to make characterizations, whether it's about their sexuality or their their aggressiveness, their tone, whatever, they begin to make these generalities because they feel threatened themselves. And so what women have to do, women have to continue to toe the line. Michelle Obama said something, you know, a long time ago now, since her and Barack has been out of the White House, you know, when they go low, we go high. You know, I think that has to be a mantra that women continue to carry for themselves. You know, we can't help, you know, just talking to you, um, someone might get the impression, well, wow, Johnson is an angry person, you know, but I just talk with emotion. You know, I'm not an angry person, but if you get to know me, you'll know that, that he talks with emotion. At the end of the day, I'll shake your hand, hug your neck, do anything I can for you. And so when you're passionate about things, sometimes in our culture, it comes across that you're upset, you're angry. You're aggressive. No, I'm just passionate about what I believe. And the more people get to know you, the easier that is to accept. It's Mm. harder for women because 
they're now climbing a ladder socially, but also professionally in places that women have never been before. And so it's easy to label them for men to do that and feel like somehow I've achieved something in taking them down a notch. But really all you're doing, especially in this generation that we're living in now, is giving them another stepping stone to go high. Wow. We're going to come back after this break and we're going to have an opportunity to close this out. But I want you to stay there. Don't touch this dial. This is your host, Fallon Proctor. United we stand. Great conversation with our guest, Bishop Emmett Johnson. And now back to your host, Fallon Proctor, and today's United We Stand. Well, welcome back. This is Fallon Proctor, United We Stand, WCLN 105.7. Thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. We are enjoying our time together. Our guest has been Bishop Emmett Johnson. We have been talking about the church's response and social issues. Bishop, we had an issue right here in our own area. I'm sure you may not be aware, but here in our area, we actually have uh, the, the, the luxury, I would say, and, and the blessing of having George Floyd's family here in our area. Perhaps some of them are probably even WCLN listeners today right here in the area where we are. In fact, where we're sitting in the radio studio, uh, probably no more than 300 feet away from where yards and where we are is where they actually had the, the home going celebration here in North Carolina. And I will tell you that during the time of protest and everything else, we had the church in certain pockets were quiet. The church in other pockets were vocal. And we really seemed like we just had total diversity going on and hard to be able to get us to the place of really finding unity. What we found was an issue was publicly one thing was being said concerning unity and then privately other things were being done to tear down that unity. And so as we talk about social justice issues, and I, and I believe we've heard you say that it is our position for the church not to be silent in those areas. How do you, uh, as a leader, how do you work with other leaders to be able to bring those social justice issues to the forefront and work together with them across the aisles of your community? And I'll give you that last word on this today. Thank you, Pastor Proctor. And again, I appreciate all your listeners who've been um, staying with us, enjoying the conversation. I really love this uh, platform that you created. I think that, that, you know, one word comes to mind. Uh, it's not a word that, you know, I can say that I thought of on my own um, as we're preparing for our workers' conference, which has so many innuendos tied to this conversation. Um, the word resilience. You know, we're going to make a difference. We know uh, for, for my 60 years, um, for, my, for my adult 50-plus um, years, you know, of, um, of doing things, understanding things, uh, I've known that we've had issues in our communities uh, with racism, you know, one-sided movements when it comes to politics. Well, I've known this all my life, but I've been resilient. I think if we're going to see change that's effective, especially when out of one side of our mouth we're asking for peace, then behind closed doors we're agitating and creating chaos. We have to be resilient to identify those things and then, you know, not be afraid to echo those things publicly so others will know this is a farce. 
is not what it seems to be. And so that word resilient just kind of sticks out in my mind, simply because the individuals that have made social change didn't give up. The individuals that made social change, impacted social change, whether it was in their community or nationally, they made an effort to echo their voice, if not their voice, the voice of someone else with their same passion over and over again. And I think we have, as a community, have to find a way to continue to do that. Maybe you, as a leader, might be past the day of marching in streets or getting on radio broadcasts or stuff of that nature. But you can help mentor and tutor individuals now uh, and give them the correct vernacular to be able to go in and be impactful now in areas that you weren't. Maybe you can just resource them. You can be a supporter you know, a passive proctor's broadcast because conversations like this need to continue. And so because of that fact, because I support it, I can't do it, I can't say it, but I support the individuals that can. I'm resilient enough to say that we're not going to let this become a mute point in our society. And so I think resiliency is the key. Wow, that is so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for spending your afternoon with us on today. Well, listen, you heard it here on today. One of the challenges that we're facing within our community, we have to stop burying our head in the sand. We have to be transparent. We have to be resilient. We have to admit that there are issues in our community. One who was a drum major for social change, who was a pastor, who was a leader there in Alabama was Dr. King. And Dr. King said, an injustice anywhere is an injustice everywhere. Today, Oklahoma, tomorrow, North Carolina, next week, South Carolina, next week, Virginia. Just because it's not in your neighborhood does not mean it does not exist. Leaders, it's time for us to get up. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to step up. And most importantly, it's time for us to be up. Have a faith-filled week. Allow yourselves to be able to be resilient, transparent, but also have a purpose-filled day. Heaven smile upon you. This is Fallon Proctor, your host of United We Stand, WCLN 105.7, here in the wonderful state of North Carolina. God bless you. You've been listening to United We Stand with your host, Fallon Proctor. Join the conversation live each Wednesday afternoon at 2 p.m. on Christian 105.7 WCLN. To connect, subscribe, or learn more, Visit the podcast page at Christian1057.com.